the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ is in our midst. Uh, today we celebrate the Holy Equal to the Apostles, uh, Nina, or Nino, of, of Georgia, who in the uh, two, uh, 400s, um, or 4th century, excuse me, um, around uh, 320 and, and before, even before that, evangelized the Republic of, what we call the Republic of Georgia now, um, but would have been what would have been known as Albania, or also Albania, but we would, uh, what was known as Iberia, the Iberian Mountains, which was a predominantly pagan country, um, as paganism was around the Roman Empire. And it, it behooves us to think about how she did her evangelism, and we'll talk a little bit about her story. Um, first of all, her story is that she was a young uh, woman, around 14 years old, when her parents, uh, out of zeal for God, essentially went and joined monastic communities and left her under the tutelage of certain famous uh, uh, Christian teachers of their area. So she was raised at a young age by her very pious parents, um, but then passed on to sort of uh, grandfather, grandmother figures to be raised in, in the faith. And she had a particular desire um, because she had heard the story of the robe of Christ, about how the tunic that was taken from Christ at the crucifixion had somehow found its way to reside within Iberia. Desiring to see that relic, she, she prayed and looked for a way. But of course, as a young woman, this is not really all that possible. And eventually, the mother of God appeared to her in a vision. And the mother of God told her to go to Iberia and to preach the gospel. And that to preach the gospel and that she essentially would spread the good news of Jesus Christ, his birth, his death, his resurrection, to uh, the people of Iberia. Well, of course, she's just very young. She's a woman. And just to put this in perspective, uh, you know, nowadays when we think about evangelism, we often think about posting a meme on Facebook um, or a pithy quote or possibly taking a Google ad out for the church, uh, running a nice website, a Facebook page. Um, very easy for us to think about digital ways that don't require much of us to evangelize. But Nina lives in a time of the Diocletian persecution. So this is one of the more severe persecutions of the early church. This is when we talk about all the martyrs um, of the early church, a lot of them come from the time of Diocletian. This, uh, when he rose a, a great uh, persecution in various areas of, of Christianity. 
in the Roman Empire. She also, as a young woman, has to travel somehow to Iberia. It's, it's a mountainous region. She's not married. Um, nonetheless, having received a vision from the Mother of God and having received, because of her over, being overwhelmed by this vision, she, of course, prays and says, how, is it, how can this be, essentially? How am I going to be able to do something like this? And one of the uh, stories is that she received the cross with the vines. Um, uh, uh, she woke up with a cross that was made out of vines and that she took her own hair and tied it to make a cross. So you'll see in many of her icons this uh, Georgian cross, this, this cross of St. Nina. Well, she goes and she goes to Iberia and there are a few uh, stories that highlight her evangelism. And uh, I'll just say that the Western hagiography, the Western life of the saint, of, of St. Nina, is very different than the Eastern. So you have competing stories. This really doesn't, shouldn't bother you too much because we know that many of the hagiographies are embellished or shifted or received orally. And so different people received different things. And the reason these stories are passed to us is to increase our faith, to encourage us, to help us um, try to come to a place where we emulate the person. Uh, nobody was thinking about writing a scientific history in the time of St. Nina where they had to get an exact record. As a matter of fact, when we look at the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, in the Gospels of John, we see differences, and some would say seeming contradictions, but this has never been a problem in our faith because the Gospels were written for one reason. St. John summarizes it at the end of his Gospels. He says, so that you may believe and that you may know him. This is the reason why we have the lives of the saints. Anyways, enough of that sidetrack. Moving on, um, in one story, uh, St. Nina, of course, goes and preaches, and she becomes known for her prayerful life and healing of people. In particular, she healed a young, uh, young child, a woman brought to her a child, and she prayed for him or her, uh, I'm not sure, forgive me, and I would tell you the names of these people, but they're all Georgian names, and Forget about it. Even if I was reading it, I would, I would kill it. That's if I could even remember it, by the way. Um, as of, it's just a very different language. So, um, so she heals the young child. Um, the queen, actually, uh, I believe... No, I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> eventually, the queen hears of her healing by her prayers... And the queen has uh, something wrong with her that has been with her a long time. And what I read, I couldn't find anything that said what it was. But she goes and St. Nina prays for her and is healed. Her husband, um, uh, her husband actually doesn't believe in it. But there's a story of him when he's hunting and walking in the woods that a great fog falls upon him. And because he's so vexed by this, he can't see and he fears for his life, of course, he starts by calling on his gods, 
And he waits and nothing happens. And eventually he calls on the god of Nina. Um, and the fog is lifted. His eyes are opened. He can see. And from these two people, really, um, and their experience of the prayers of St. Nina, um, the, these, they go back and they essentially, the empire by 338, or excuse me, the Iberian um, governance and, and uh, whatever you want to call it, that district, if you will, um, becomes Christian. There's another story, which I think, um, you know, that story may sound a little bit unrelatable, not very relatable to you, you know, because as a Christian, I've had people come to me and ask for my prayers and, you know, walk away kind of the same, you know. So it might not be that inspiring to you because um, you're saying, wow, St. Nina's prayers are, are very effective, um, wonderful. Um, that's good for her, you know, thank God. In another story, she was brought to Iberia as a slave. Um, and as a slave, again, as a slave, uh, she lives her life as a Christian. And the people around her in that area notice her and begin to ask for her prayers, and you hear about the miracles. But the most profound part of the story is that simply by living amongst other people, occasionally preaching the gospel, you know, with words, and saying, you know, about the kingdom of heaven, and talking about Christ as God, and the death, and the resurrection, the ascension, and all those things that we believe, of course, very important that she preaches, very important that she prays, but also very important that the people around her experienced her in such a way that they wondered, what does she have that I don't have? What does Nina, St. Nina have, who is living amongst these people humbly, and in all stories, whether she, whether she does something miraculous or not, she goes away and lives humbly. And it's by her humility and simply living amongst the people and their experience of her being totally unique as a Christian that eventually the gospel message takes hold within the, uh, what is now known as the Republic of Georgia. She is uh, very famous, obviously, in the Republic of Georgia. I think it, uh, the, the number of people named after her, I was reading, was, it was some ridiculous statistic, you know, where it was like a lot of people are named after her, kind of like St. George, um, whom she's said to be related to. Um, imagine what that would be like for us. I mean... Imagine as we go out into our culture, and, and as people talk to me on a day-to-day -day basis, the people I know about are concerned about our culture. They're concerned about the wars overseas. They're concerned about the potentiality of terrorism here. They're concerned about the morality of our country. The people who talk to me whether it's in pastoral or uh, just casual conversation anywhere, talk about our society increasingly becoming a place where they feel like God has been eliminated 
and we're essentially returning to a sort of paganism, the place where we offer babies on the altar of sacrifice uh, to the unknown god of, of um, convenience with our policies in our country on abortion, um, whatever your hot-button topic is, most people seem very, very concerned. And here we are as Christians and, and hopefully faithful in our lives, and I know that some of us wonder what we could do about it. And so some of us think that most of our energy should be spent on voting. Um, of course, please vote your conscience. It's a good thing. You know, you have a right, use your right, and if you don't use your right, well, that's on you, um, but you have a right. And thank God we have uh, the ability to elect or potentially elect our, our leaders. That's a good thing. We can certainly march. This week there's going to be marches in Washington, right to life, and there'll be marches in Macon. We have the right to, to do those things. Thank God. That's wonderful. That's a way to show your solidarity with your beliefs about changing the culture. I'd like to suggest, there's, there's many other ways, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'd like to suggest that one of the ways that may be neglected the most within our culture is be, for us, becoming deeply Christian, is for us living deeply prayerful lives where we set Christ at the center. You see, St. Nina had a vision from the Mother of God. And she had special circumstances where she was intensely raised with the kingdom of heaven as her central focus. And then she was blessed to go evangelize. But she evangelized by her, the way she lived, by the way she prayed for people, by the way she loved her enemies, by the way she manifested the grace of God to a surrounding pagan culture in a time of persecution. I don't know if it's possible, but it's true, I believe it's true, that this is also what we're called to. Not just to use words, words are important, but to also deeply embody the fa our faith by manifesting love towards our enemies by praying for those, by seeking the saints, by asking for the intercessions of St. Nina, but also asking for the intercessions of the Mother of God, the whole host of heaven, by spending time so absorbed in prayer that we become transformed, by participating in the life of the church. All these things sound so boring, don't they? You know, that's not as exciting as having a vision. And yet, nonetheless, we have, as each individual Christian here, and all of us together, have all the power of God in our hands with a world that desperately needs the gospel. And it's only going to happen when they encounter us, when they encounter Christ, or when they're prayed for, or when they encounter somehow encounter God through us. So, St. Nina is a great encouragement for our time, just as much as St. Innocent is an encouragement for this parish who is founded on his name. And the work before us is to become deeply Christian like she is, she was. And
and to bring the message to our surrounding culture by being Christian. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Christ is in our midst.